Hey, good morning. Hey, I want to tell you, if you weren't here last week, and that means most of you, um, don't blame you, New Year's Day, busy, busy weekend, everything. Listen, our two high school seniors that did the sermons last week, I mean, the whole, the whole, all our high school kids, college students, did amazing, it was great. You can hear the two sermons online, go listen, they were really inspiring, really good, and you know, these two young women stood up here and didn't hardly use a note, and preached a powerful message, and, and I hope you'll go online and listen to that. You know you can subscribe to the uh, sermon podcast on your phone, on your computer, your laptop, and you can, you know, uh, get it when you're not here and, and push it out to other people. That's a really good thing that you can do. So this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to read a couple passages to you from First Peter, and I was really inspired in the month of December when I began reading through 1 Peter, I, I, picked up, I picked up a different translation of the New Testament I had not read before. It's called the NLT, New Living Translation. I really, really enjoy it. I, I think it makes the language easy, understandable, um, accessible. And as I began to read through 1 Peter, I became really inspired by what I read but at the same time, really challenged by what I read. Because Peter is writing and reminding the people of God that they are the people of God who have been set free by the grace and love of God to live on mission in the world. And that he's calling them to move out of the shadows of the darkness into the light to the wonderful light of God, to proclaim to the world the goodness of God. And I love that because sometimes we think that, that Christianity is the church or our faith is something that we do by ourselves. And we forget that it is the love of Jesus that makes us a people, that calls us to a mission, calls us to a purpose. And so when Peter wrote 1 Peter, he wrote it as an instruction manual, as a manual for discipleship. And so when I read, when I read through 1 Peter, I found so many hopeful, encouraging, and punch you in the gut, challenging kind of words. And some words that just are breathtaking in scope and beauty about the love and grace of God. So today, as we get started, we're going we're gonna to spend a few weeks. I'm going to spend five weeks. I would encourage you to read the book. The best thing about the book is it's only 105 verses long. You can read it and read it, reread it over the next five weeks and just pull the riches and the depth out of yourself. So as we start today, I want to begin with reading something at the end and something at the beginning, and then we're going to get right into it. Peter writes, uh, my purpose in writing... My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Now to the introduction to the letter, Peter writes, This letter is from Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. God the Father, he writes, knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Chose you, made you holy, and cleansed you by the blood of Jesus Christ. He goes on and he writes, May God give you more and more grace and peace. Well, what a wish I'd have for you this morning. For everybody that's here this morning. That God would give you more and more. I mean, could you use a little more grace? Could you use a little more peace? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy, not small mercy, not minimal mercy, but great mercy, that we have been born again, given a new life, given new hope. Why? Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great, say the word with me, we live with great expectation. So as I think about this letter, and I think about the one word that describes what 1 Peter means to me, it is the word expectation. Peter says in this book that when God is in your life, and when you know God's grace, when you know His peace, when you know His mercy, when He's called you, chosen you, purposed you, filled you up, you can live your life with expectation. A hopeful expectation about the future. Think about your life right now, this moment. As you think about the year ahead, are you fearful? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you like so many people today that you meet and that you work with and that you do life with who when they think about the future, they think the prospects are dim and they live with a sense of dread rather than expectation. It's interesting, uh, I looked up the word expectation in the dictionary and looked up some quotations around expectation and I was surprised how many of the quotations had a negative bent to them. I read this over and over again, that the best way to have a happy life is to lower your expectations. The best way to have a happy life is to face reality, lower your expectations, that you'll never be disappointed if you don't have high expectations. Well, that's not Peter's point of view. Peter in this book describes how God is this God of unfailing love. What that means is there's so much in the world that will fail you, disappoint you, the love of others for you will not always be there for you, but God is consistent in one thing, his love will never, ever fail you 
never fail me, never fail us, never give up on us. And because of God's unfailing love, patience with us, and because of God's faithfulness to us, he says over and over again in this book, he says that you may not be able to do it, but God is able to do it because God has not given up on you and God is faithful. And so because of that, we can live our lives with a sense of expectation. What are you expecting in the new year? What are you hoping for in the new year? Are you living with dread about what's to come? Are you living with hopeful expectation? You know, one of the things that I think is true is that when I look at people who have this sense of hopeful expectation, you know what you see in them? You see in them this sort of an, uh, what I call an uncommon kind of joy. You look at them and you think, why are they, is that person happy? They've endured loss. They have hardship. Their life looks just like my life. But there's a joy inside of them that's unexplainable. And it's because of this. I believe this with every ounce of my being as a person, and I can verify it from my own experience. That when you and I, when we devote our lives to a relationship with God, to knowing God, to experiencing God with our life, that relationship with God will have a greater impact on our future than our circumstances. And in fact, it's even better than that. That our circumstances, be they negative or positive, no matter what our circumstances in life are, is that God can use anything in our life as the building blocks for something amazing and beautiful. Weakness, failure, disappointment, hardship, all those things, God is able to redeem them, bless them, use them, grow them. In fact, Peter says in the first chapter, he says, you're going through all this stuff that you're going through. And what you're going through is actually what God is going to use to grow you. So expect good things. But I think there really are two barriers. Two significant barriers that we all endure, we all face, that keep us from experiencing this this sort of relationship. One is self-sufficiency. You know, it's the idea that, that God, God wants me to do these things, God wants me to be a better person, and so I try, I try. I'm not telling you not to try, but what I'm saying to you is, is that God is not your coach. A lot of us, we think of God as being our coach. What that means is, God's got a whistle. Run five yards, run ten yards, do some burpees, do some sit-ups, do some, you know, run, do this, accomplish these things. And God is outside our life coaching us. And so as a result, we don't experience that joy and that expectation because we become disappointed in ourselves. But what Peter teaches is that God doesn't want to be your coach, he wants to be your presence. Because a coach motivates, 
and a presence and powers. God doesn't want to stand outside your life and motivate you. God wants to be in your life, empowering you with his presence. The Bible calls it the Holy Spirit. His indwelling presence. The thing that lives inside you. I think the second barrier is our perspective. It's how we see things. Our view is limited. We look at our life, we look at our world, we can only see what we can see. We can only hear what we can hear. Very small point of view. But when God is in our life, it's like we get this 20-20 vision. It's like we're lifted up out of the valley and we're lifted onto this high place and we can see who God is and we can see what's possible. And sometimes the key to just rising above our circumstances is to realize and to see a bigger picture. We can't see the whole picture. We can't see everything. But God can help us see His point of view and get a bigger point of view about the world and where we belong and who we are. So, so what He did when He wrote this book, you know why He wrote it? He wrote it to encourage us. That's what he said at the end of the book. It's interesting. You know, usually when you write a letter, you write, I'm writing this letter because I want to tell you this is what the letter's going to be about. You've got to wait to get to the end of the letter to find out why Peter wrote it. At the end of the letter, what does it say? I am writing this letter to encourage you. He said, I want you to know that what you're going through is just what you go through. He said, it's one thing just to be a human being. When you're a human being, you're just going to experience stuff because stuff just happens. But then he says, even more so, because you follow Jesus, you're going to have more stuff happen because not everybody's going to appreciate who you are and what you live for and what you stand for. And there's going to be a price for that, so expect it. It's all normal. God's going to use it, he says. So I'm writing to encourage you. And you know what the word, you know what it means? He doesn't mean just cheer you up. He doesn't mean just to inspire you. The word, the word courage, the word courage comes from the Latin word cur, C-O-U-R, which means heart. He's trying to enhearten. He's trying to strengthen the size and the capacity of your heart so that you can live your life with this expectation that God is in what you're doing, that God will be with you through what you're going through, and that no matter what the world can do to you or hand to you, you can achieve great things in your life because of the God who lives in you. So have courage. Probably one of the best books ever written, To Kill a Mockingbird. You ever read that? I went to, I went to divinity school, and uh, the law school was right next door to the divinity school. I can't tell you how many times I ran into a first-year law student who said, I said, why do you want to become a lawyer? You know, ministers to be, lawyers to be that. Why do you want to be a minister? Why do you want to be a lawyer? And I, I can't tell you how many I met that said, I read kill a mockingbird and it inspired me to be a lawyer. Now most, you know, 
Did you read it, Hal? He's got the movie at home. Great movie. There's this great quote in the book. Jim is the son, and Atticus Finch is the hero who defends a man who's been unjustly accused of raping a young woman. And throughout that movie, he is just like this incredibly courageous person. And he says to Jim, the son, he says, Jim, I want you to know what real courage is. Some people think that courage is what a man does when he grabs a gun. But I'll tell you what courage is. Courage is when you've been licked, you've been knocked down, you've been beat up, and you know you're going to lose, but you stand up and you do the right thing anyway because it's the right thing to do. And Atticus Finch's whole life is about doing the right thing in spite of the obstacles and the adversity Where does that courage come from? Where does the expectation for hope about the future, where does it come from? It comes from inside. It's not self-generated. It's not manufactured. I mean, you can be a courageous person and, and you can have hope but it's a different thing. It's a different thing when the God who holds the keys to the universe and to the heavens lives inside of you. I, I can't explain what that means, but I can tell you this, is that I know in my own life, is in my own life I know that whenever I face adversity and obstacles or I'm fearful or I'm not sure about the decisions I'm making, I know this. I experience God. How do I experience God? I experience God when I'm around other people who believe in God and follow Jesus. They encourage me. I experience God when I get up in the morning and I read the scriptures and search the scriptures and then I read a phrase and it encourages me. The other day I read this phrase from the Bible. It said, always be joyful. Be thankful in all circumstances. Pray a whole lot. Hold on to what is good and reject what is evil. When I read that, it just, you know, it was God speaking to me, saying, be thankful for what you're going through. Be filled with joy. Pray always. Hold on to what is good and reject what is evil. By rejecting your negative thoughts, negative thinking, doomsday thinking. You know, God speaks to me through that. That's how I experience I experience the presence of God when I serve other people. But something happens when you live in your life in a relationship with God. God comes to live inside of you, and he emboldens you. He gives you confidence. He gives you strength on the inside to live your life. Let me give you an example. This is really great stuff here. I'm going to start preaching, Seely. All right? So listen to this. When you think of Peter, when you think of Peter, who do you think of? Now, we think of somebody who was in an ivory tower, maybe, or we think of somebody, you know, St. Peter in stained glass. You know what I think of when I think of Peter? I think of Peter in a boat in Luke 5, learning to be obedient. 
Jesus says, go on the deep water, put down your nets for a catch. And Peter goes, I've been fishing all night. I'm t okay, I'll do it. What do I think of when I think of Peter? I think of Peter learning faithfulness and then failing. Hey, Peter, come out in the water, walk with me. I'm going to walk in the water. Next thing you know, he gets scared and he starts sinking in the water. Fearful, faithless. I think of Peter, the time he had a bold moment when Jesus said, who am I? He says, you're the Christ. He gets it right, then he gets it wrong. And then Jesus calls him Satan and says, get behind me. I think of Peter acting tough in a garden. Chops off a servant's ear of the high priest when they come to get Jesus. Now, you can either think that Peter was a good shot or a bad shot, depending on how you think about it. He was a good shot, cut off the ear, or he missed his head, either one. But Peter, Peter acting tough, Jesus gets on to him. Then you can think, I think of Peter uh, in, the, in the courtyard when Jesus is on trial, and I think of Peter denying Jesus and failing Jesus. Then I think of Peter on the seashore in John 21, where Jesus is restoring him to a right relationship with him and calling him back to the work and reconciling him. You know why I love that? Because Peter looks just like you and me. His life is a mixed bag of ups and downs and failures and all arounds and all those kinds of things. And 50% of the time he gets it right, 50% of the time he gets it wrong. He's had epic failures, weaknesses. And he's this character. You read about him all the way through the Gospels and all the way through the book of Acts and you get to read his epistles. And you see this guy... He's just like you, and he's just like me. But then it says, the first, I love this. This letter was written by Peter, who is an apostle. Meaning, someone who was sent by God. And so we look at our lives, we think about the things that we would think would disqualify us. We would think about the things that would keep us from serving, keep us from being useful. And we hear Peter's story and we go, well, you know what? Nothing disqualifies us. Your past, your fear, your circumstances. Because it's who God is. This God who never gives up. This God who is unfailing. And so that's, you see, you see where I'm coming from here? That, I, I mean, this sermon's really about two things. Expectation and about courage. And so what happens is when you, when you can see how God feels about you and who you are and you begin to realize that Peter is writing this letter to encourage you, you get this courage, you get this confidence, you get this boldness, and you just begin to live with expectation for the future. The God who is in us is greater than the world around us. And so... So we read, this, we read this first letter, and we get those, those three phrases, and they sound like, you know, nice language. Well, he's chosen you, he's made you holy, he's cleansed you by the blood. We don't, think, we don't know what that means. Let me tell you what it means. It means that God in Jesus Christ has chosen you, you, not just Peter, you, to live for him in this world. He has set you apart to live in this world for him. Set you apart to bring his goodness to the world. 
and he's made it possible for you to do that because through the blood of Jesus on the cross who died for the sins of the world, he has cleansed you, wiped your record clean, and made it possible for you to serve him with a clear and clean conscience for the future. Because of, And you know, when you, when you see who you are through his eyes, when it changes your perspective, you begin to have confidence, boldness, expectation, and encouragement. This encourages me. So, a week or so ago, I turned 55, and uh, that's no big achievement, you know, really. There are people in our church who are 80, so that's like, oh yeah, all right, big deal, 55, you know. Some of you in here are 40 going, man, that guy's old. Let me tell you, you'll be 55 someday too, okay? It's coming. It'll be there. You know, I got in the movies the other day, senior discount. It was awesome, $1.50 off. You know, whatever, there'll be 20 or get $1.50 off at the movies. I don't know, one of the two. So, so I started thinking about, at 55, I started thinking about, because I accepted Jesus when I was 40. Man, I, got, I looked back and I thought, I've squandered some of my opportunities. I have made poor judgments, poor decisions. Sometimes I've made the same poor decisions over and over again and never learned from them. I've been prideful, stubborn, arrogant. I've had some good moments, too. I've had some good moments, some not-so-good moments. And I look, at, I look at my life and think I have a life that I don't deserve and a life I never, ever really expected to have. I've been surprised, amazed, blessed, all those things. Why? Because even though I've given up at times on myself, lost confidence in myself, even given up on God, God's never given up on me. Never failed me. Never let me down. Always believed in me. Always will put me back on the right path. Always will redirect me. And you know how I know this? Because I've lived it. I've experienced it. I get up and I do what I do. And it, it's not just sheer will and determination. I got, I'm a pretty determined fella. You know, pretty disciplined. It's just God just keeps blessing me with goodness and love and hope through his words and scripture, through the relationships I have with people, through his presence, through his power, through his Holy Spirit. And just never, ever gives up on me. And what I've learned is this. What I've learned is that if I will just surrender, surrender my weakness, offer him my failures, look to him for hope, he just gives me his presence. With his presence comes his power. And that's why I do what I do. Because he loves me. 
And I want you to know his love too. He wants you to know his love too. So, at the beginning of this new year, will you join me in recommitting your life to the one who's so committed to you?